Hello, I'm Ronnie Lutz. This is The Liner Project. Well, today we are going to talk about a legendary singer-songwriter and a legendary human being. We are talking about the person that was the inspiration for the beginning lines of this very podcast that you hear every other week and that you just heard. It is from his iconic line. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash was born J.R. Cash on February 26, 1932 in Kingsland, Arkansas. He was the son of Carrie Rivers Cloverly and Ray Cash. He had three older siblings, Roy, Margaret Louise, and Jack. He also had three younger siblings, Reba, Joanne, and Tommy. When I said he was named J.R. Cash, that was actually his name. I read it in a couple different places that his mom wanted to name him Rivers and his dad wanted to name him Ray. His mom's maiden name was Carrie Rivers Cloverly. I also read that his mom wanted to name him John and his dad wanted to name him Ray. So I'm not exactly sure what the situation was, but they settled on just the initials J.R. as a compromise. I don't know which is true, but did John and Ray make more sense except they could have just named him John Ray Cash? So who knows? J.R. is what is printed on his diploma and his birth certificate. He went by J.R. until 1950 when he went into the Air Force. The Air Force wouldn't allow a name comprised of just initials, so J.R. became John R. Cash. When Sean and I were talking about this, she made the observation that Cash chose what his mother wanted, and that was a smart move. And I agree with that. I think you should always choose what your mother wants. She's usually smarter than you are. On a personal note, I have kind of always flirted with going with R.S. as my name. My great-grandfather went by R.S., and in a roundabout way, my dad and I are named after him. I say roundabout because our middle names are the same, but our first names are different, but have the same initial. My great-grandfather was named Roosevelt Sylvester Lutz and chose R.S., which makes a lot of sense in retrospect. My grandfather, Jimmy, and my grandmother, Elsie, named my dad Ronald Sylvester Lutz. My dad chose to stay with the diminutive Ronnie. I was also named Ronald Sylvester Lutz, and I became a junior, and I also chose to stick with the diminutive Ronnie. I've never really liked Ron. I don't know why. To me, I just feel like Ronnie makes more sense. To me, it feels like Rons are old. And I'm not old, so I'll stay with Ronnie. I still don't like Ron, but I have a few social media accounts with the initials RS. I really like the sound of RS. Although, my Instagram is Ron Lutz, because my dad has Ronnie Lutz. My email is ronlutzatme.com, because I created the email Lutz at me, and then I can't remember what happened. But I have access to both, but use ronlutzatme.com. The reason why... I don't use RonnieLutzAtMe.com. There's a longer story about Apple and their stupidity with Apple IDs. But I don't think anyone wants to hear about Apple IDs right now. If you do, go on over to Bubble Sort. They do a good tech podcast. But back to the real story of J.R. Cash. The U.S. Census of 1930 shows Kingland, Arkansas had around 328 people. Arkansas was hit especially hard by the Great Depression. The Cash family, like many other families, lived in poverty even during the 20s 
when the rest of the country was doing well. The Arkansas flood of 1927 was followed by a drought, and when the stock market crashed in 1929, almost two-thirds of Arkansas's independent farmers lost their farms and fell into tenancy. When FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was elected as president in 1932, two programs were created. The Works Progress Administration, or the WPA, and the Federal Emergency Relief Administration, or the FERA, or FERA, I'm not sure what they called it. William Dice, a Mississippi County plantation owner, suggested to the Arkansas WPA administrator that the federal government should buy 16,000 acres of basically swampland. Then the federal government could give homesteading families about 20 acres to clear and cultivate. When J.R. was three years old, his family moved to the Dias Colony Resettlement Area, or they just called it Dias. J.R. went to high school in Dias and graduated in 1950. He was the class vice president. Dias is still around today, but it only has around 360 people. Still mostly white because the resettlement program, like all New Deal programs, were for white people only. Soon after he graduated in 1950, J.R. enlisted into the Air Force, where he finally became John. He stayed in the military for four years as a Morse code operator in Germany and was honorably discharged in 1954. There's an apocryphal story that he was the one that intercepted the communication from the Soviet Union that Joseph Stalin has died. I'm not sure that's true or not, but it was something that I had read. After he got out of the army, he went to Memphis and he made his first recordings in 1955 for Sun Recordings. His first song that was recorded was Cry, 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 which is a great song if you never heard it. Very great song to start your career with. Fast forward nine years later and the song we're going to talk about today was released. It was released on a concept album called Bitter Tears, Ballads of the American Indian. This album focuses on the history of Native Americans in the United States and their problems. Cash believed that his ancestry included Cherokee, which inspired his works on this recording. The album addresses the harsh and unfair treatment of indigenous peoples of North America by Europeans in the United States. Peter Lafarge wrote five of the songs, including the song we're going to talk about today, The Ballad of Ira Hayes. Gather round me people, there's a story I would tell About a brave young Indian you should remember well From the land of the Pima Indian A proud and noble band Who farmed the Phoenix Valley In Arizona land Down the ditches a thousand years The waters grew Ira's people's crops Till the white man stole their water rights And the sparkling water stopped Now Ira's folks were hungry and their land grew crops of weeds. When war came, Ira volunteered and forgot the white man's greed. Ira Hayes was born in 1923 in Sacaton, Arizona. I don't know how to pronounce that. Sacaton, 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 I don't know. It's a town in the Gila River Indian community. He went to high school at the Phoenix Indian School. Hayes confided to one of his classmates, Eleanor Pasquale, that he was determined to serve as a United States Marine. Hayes' father had been in the military during World War I, so in 1942, 
he enlisted in the Marine Corps, where he volunteered to be a Marine paratrooper, or a paramarine. He got the appropriate at the time, I guess, code name of Chief Falling Cloud during this time. Probably wouldn't be appropriate today, but that's what they did back then. He was sent to the South Pacific to fight against the Japanese, and that's where this story takes place. There they battled up Iwo Jima Hill, 250 men, but only 27 lived to walk back down again. And when the fight was over, and old glory raised, among the men who held it high was the Indian Ara Hayes. Hayes was at the Battle of Iwo Jima that started in February of 1945 and lasted until March of 1945. The lines here mention one of the most iconic pictures taken during World War II, raising the flag on Iwo Jima. In fact, it was the only photo to win the Pulitzer Prize for photography in the same year of its publication. The picture was taken by Joe Rosenthal. It was later used for the construction of the Marine Corps War Memorial in 1954. I guess they used the term Iwo Jima's Hill because Mount Suribachi just wouldn't have gone very well in the song. The photograph that I'm talking about, you might, hopefully you've seen it. It's a photograph that has six men that are hoisting a flag up. They're kind of, the flag's kind of at an angle and they're pushing it up. It became the, as I said, it became the Marine Corps War Memorial. There's a big statue there that shows the exact thing. There were actually two American flags raised on top of Mount Suribachi on February 23rd, 1945. The photo that Rosenthal took became famous that was the second flag raising because the first flag was too small the second flag raising took place with six total marines ira hayes being the one on the very back helping to push the flag up there's actually a video as well and i will link to that in the show notes it's a good video it's in color it shows the flag being lifted up on mount suribachi these lines also mention the horrific death toll that was taken at iwo jima hayes was part of Easy Company is what they were called, and he was only one of five Marines remaining out of 45 men. And if you uh, if you have the chance and you want to listen to some real hardcore history, the name of the podcast is Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. He had one that just came out the other day. It's called Supernova in the East. This is part five. And you should listen to all the parts, but they're like three to four hours long each. But the most recent one is about the battle in the South Pacific. And when I say horrific death toll, the battle in the South Pacific was brutal. And if you have the time, listen to that podcast, because I'm not going to go over all of those things. Not in this podcast, because that's not what this is all about. But I think you should listen. After the battle of Iwo Jima was over, Hayes was sent with his unit to Hawaii. While there... President Roosevelt ordered the flag raisers in Rosenthal's photo to be sent immediately to Washington, D.C. to help with public morale. Hayes arrived in D.C. on April 7th and President Roosevelt died on April 12th. Vice President Harry S. Truman became president. Amazingly enough, we have another initial person. I don't know if you know this, but the S in Harry S. Truman was just the S. It didn't stand for anything. I have no clue why people would just put an S as a middle name, but there you have it. By May 9th, 
Hayes, along with the two other survivors, were on a bond selling tour. The bond tour was held in 33 American cities and raised over $26 billion to help pay for and win the war in the South Pacific. Hayes also appeared briefly as himself in the film Sands of Iwo Jima that starred John Wayne. Wayne and the three survivors of the flag raising on Mount Suribachi were handed the flag, the actual flag, that was flown in 1945. So this kind of leads us to the last part of Hayes' life and the fourth verse and the chorus of this song. Then Ira started drinking hard. Jail was off in his home. They let him raise the flag and lower it like you'd throw a dog a bone. He died drunk early one morning. Alone in the land he fought to save. Two inches of water in a lonely ditch was a grave for Ira Hayes. Call him drunken Ira Hayes, he will answer anymore. Not the whiskey-drinking Indian or the Marine that went to war. Joe's often Ira's home. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was arrested 52 times for alcohol intoxication in public places. Hayes had a very hard time after the war and made the statement, I was sick. I guess I was about to crack up thinking about all my good buddies. They were, they were better men than me, and they're not coming back, much less back to the White House like me. When he met President Eisenhower in 1954, he was lauded as a hero. A reporter asked him how he liked the pomp and circumstance that surrounded him. He hung his head and said, I don't. Just two months after meeting Eisenhower, in January of 1955, Hayes was found dead lying near an abandoned adobe hut near his childhood home of Sacaton, Arizona. His cause of death was concluded to be from exposure and alcohol poison. Yeah, call him drunken Ira Hayes. But his land is just as dry, and his ghost is lying thirsty in the ditch where Ira died. Ira Hayes was only 32 years old when he died. He never felt worthy of his fame and suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder that led to his alcoholism. And that ends the story of the song, The Ballad of Ira Hayes and Ira Hayes. And now for the hints of the next and last episode of this season. The very last episode of The Liner Project is coming up. We go from Johnny Cash, who always had a little punk in him, to some real punk. That's kind of one of the clues. This band's lead singer made an appearance earlier in the series. He was on the Ice-T album that we talked about in episode 4. This band took their name from a couple of assassinations in the 60s of some fairly famous brothers... And this particular song is about Pol Pot. Have a great couple of weeks. Thanks for listening.